once the world was full of wonders. But it belongs to humans now. We have all but disappeared. Demons, vampires, and witches hiding in plain sight. And we're live. Welcome back, pop culture theologians. We missed you. We took a hiatus after finishing season one and now we're back with season two we're so glad you're joining us some of you are joining us for the first time welcome you're in for a lot of fun welcome back to our um, previous listeners we're so excited that you'll be joining us this season as we tackle a discovery of witches um quickly make sure that you're following us on all the social medias I'm trying to get Marcy to Pinterest, but right now we are on Twitter at Pop Theologians. You can find us there and on Facebook at Pop Culture Theologians. So definitely give us a follow, hit tweet, hit like, because with this show and like with everything we do, the sass is in abundance. And Marcy, my foul mouthed friend, where can we find you? Hey, everyone. So I am pretty active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is I am the men who can. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time for Discovery of Witches, it's a reference to Wonder Woman. Uh, So hit me up. I am very active on Twitter. John, what's your Twitter? So I'm completely basic and mine is at jerickson85. So... (laughs) You really are so... Every time you say that, I'm like, that was his AIM account when he was 12. My AIM account, I'm not, maybe I'll tell the listeners one day what my AI, AOL Instant Messenger account it's was. It's so embarrassing. It's extremely embarrassing, but whatever. <laughs> All right. So for people who have listened before to the pop culture theologians, everyone knows that we tend to start off our episodes with the three major news items of the week. Well, it's a new year. And for, for us, something that we are focusing on, John and I, this year is self-care. And we wanted to kind of take a different approach to covering Discovery of Witches. So everyone knows that we started the Pop Culture Theologians and the Engage Gays website in hopes of just highlighting voices of the resistance during these kind of tumultuous times, not kind of, extremely tumultuous times. And before we used to, like I said, cover the major news and we would kind of riff off of it and break it down. Um, Here's the thing, everyone knows what's happening right now. If you don't know what's happening, seriously, you need to fucking know what's happening. There's a lot. And um, but the thing is, us retreading, retreading it every week um, is difficult because we're about to launch into like breaking down a show about like creatures and darkness and witches. And it's hard to jump from like child detention centers straight to, and now the witches. That's not to say that we won't do that in other seasons or in recaps. We feel strongly that like we should all be informed and that it all connects. But to kind of do a bit of a reprieve and something a little different for this season, we are still going to do our recap of the top three news articles of the week. We're just going to do the weirdest news that we can find. Uh, because, John, like, honestly, are- everything's weird nowadays. So right. why not just really make it weird and talk about crazy things happening i mean like it's really easy to just be like our president's a russian mole but we went a little deeper to find even stranger things uh so with that and thank you for coming along on this kind of like quirky journey uh let's break down the news of the week john i'm i'm here for it are you excited okay i'm excited you can't make the shit up by the way um 
Number one, weirdest news of the week. Thousands of people have signed a petition online to drink mummy juice out of an Egyptian sarcophagus. So some adventurous individuals are petitioning to drink some contaminated red liquid that was found inside an ancient Egyptian sarcophagus in hopes of gaining mystical powers. Uh, the post, the like petition post has reached over 40 something thousand signatures. Um, it was initiated by a man in Surrey, England. Um, guys, this is a lot of people hoping to drink some Egyptian juice. I just have no words about it. Um, the sarcophagus was found in July and here's my take, John. I think people have just watched the mummy too much. Like, yeah. Or like Darwin was right. And, um, <laughs> and we let them drink it and, you know, I mean, what's the worst? Th I mean, the worst thing could happen is that they get magical powers and then we're subservient <laughs> to like 34,298 people who signed a petition online to drink juice from a dead mummy's corpse something, right? I mean, so that's like, the worst case scenario. But as someone who's been drinking weird things for many years, I still do not have magical powers. So I am mad I did not sign this petition. As a Californian who drinks wheat juice, wheatgrass, like this is another level. Like... I agree with I you. I never thought I would drink beets in my life, and Ew, apparently I John, do. No. <laughs> it's good for the bloodstream, apparently. I don't know. What if this contaminated red liquid is beet juice? It probably is. It's like, oh God, I can't. But you know what? I support these people's decision to off themselves in a really strange way. Because honestly, I don't, I don't see this going well. Uh, the power yeah. to the people. We Give the people the red mummy juice. Hashtag. <laughs> We send our support. Uh, Darwin forever. Solidarity. <laughs> All right. So the second news that we wanted to highlight, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so John and I are actually theologians. Um, we are, oh, we didn't even cover our depression. Uh, we, <laughs> we are struggling academics. We are finishing our dissertations, both of us uh, in, in different aspects of religion. So this piece of news really kind of stood out to me. So John, get this. The number of self-identified witches in the U.S. has soared in the past couple of years. It's up to 1.5 million. So Pew Research Center, Pew Forum, found that 0.4% of Americans now identify as Wiccan or Pagan. There are more Wiccans and Pagans now in the U.S. than there are Presbyterians. I think yeah, that's, that sounds about right. That's crazy. That's crazy. And like... I mean, I'm a witch. I mean... I'm in a coven of three, so I'm with you, bro. <laughs> with you. Yeah. I, think I mean, this, like, like, look. Go for gotta it. Do it. No, I mean, look, <laughs> like, I will go down to the Pacific Ocean. I will bring some crystals and some red candles, and we will, um, we will make some stuff happen. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, it's always pot. It's always, you know, some oh, mostly Glinda the Good Witch stuff. Um, but you know the craft did it we can do it like you know let's practical magic it up in here which is by the way one of my favorite movies well and i mean like practical magic is perfection but there's like a lot happening right so i think like millennials in particular are extremely disenfranchised from organized religion and then there's this like approach to like self-care and like a return to like the old kind of natural approaches to spirituality so like this isn't surprising to me at all I mean, like, I would love to blame this on Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Witches of Each East End. Hashtag rest in peace. I love that show. Um, but this isn't surprising, but apparently people are, like, horrified by it. 
So continue to be horrified. I'm super excited. And speaking of horrifying, this next one has me literally. So Marcy, what's the last weirdest news story we're going to cover? This is the worst news story we're going to cover this week. So (laughs) in Brazil, a young boy was outside filming when it began raining spiders. So hundreds of like invaders, like these spiders are seen in this clip that he filmed, just kind of raining from the sky. Um, What happened was the humidity, the weather caused their webs to kind of like expand and for them to slip off their shit. So this kid is outside at the wrong time under the wrong weather circumstances and all of a sudden it's raining spiders. And all I can think of is Ron Weasley and how there is no Patronus big enough to make this okay. Like, ugh, I can feel this them. This is not okay at no. all. Now, spiders are very important to our ecosystem. So I'm not trying to say get rid of all the spiders. <laughs> Some people may agree. I do watch, you know, the natural the Nat Geo channel, just like bees. Bees, yeah, they may sting you. We need spiders and bees, but this is just truly twisted. And can I say, so in Florida, I'm, I live in Florida. I'm a Which is where fan. all the creepy things go. Right. I'm, I'm anticipating most of our news coming from Florida. But in Florida, the couple days we get a year where it's really cold down south, our iguanas fall off trees because mm. they go like so cold, right, that they just kind of go into like hibernation. And last year, I was like, taking my dogs out for a walk when I see like four iguanas fall off a tree and then I saw another tree lose some iguanas and I was like oh hell no like I was like it's the apocalypse like it's over my dogs were freaking out so like I feel for this kid but I'll take iguanas over spiders any day yeah um definitely everything's coming from Florida for the weird news of the week um for new listeners a lot of the news stories came from Florida in season one so you know (laughs) bear with us if you live in Florida you know we love you and thank you for listening however (laughs) Marcy is there suffering I live in the beautiful West Hollywood California um and don't have to deal with those types of things um but I I don't if this happened to me I that's just a scenario where you just lay down and die yeah, no, I would give up. There's no part of me that... Re- so I can resist authoritarian regimes. I can't resist spiders. It's not nope. happening. It's not. If my mom's not around to kick, like kill a spider, like it's, it's just going to... like I'm just going to burn my house. Like, uh, no. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, we have to move on because I'm going to start getting like the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> There's your Midwestern for you. There's my Midwestern for me. <laughs> All right, so shall we do this? All right. Let's do this, Marcy. So, John, I'm going to let you introduce the show uh, because you have read the books. Listeners, this is the first thing we cover that I have not read the books. I'm working on it. It's just I'm like in dissertation mode and I'm drowning. Uh, so John is actually our expert this season. Which is, which is a little terrifying. So <laughs> I um, believe in you. You believe in me. Well, A Discovery of Witches is based, the TV show is based off of a 2011 historical fantasy novel um, by American scholar right here in Los Angeles, actually, Deborah Harkness. And it follows the story of Diana Bishop, um, the youngest tenured Yale professor, we'll get there, um, (laughs) and a history of science professor at Yale University who um, is a witch, um, comes from a long line of witches, and she finds an elusive, long-lost manuscript um, and is really compelled to embrace the magic that's in her blood that she's really kind of kept secret um, and kept out of her life. Um, 
And then, of course, like with all witches, there happens to be a forbidden romance with this very charming vampire named Matthew Claremont. So um, that's kind of the broad 10,000-foot overview. We're going to definitely get into the, the nitty-gritty. But this, A Discovery of Witches, is the first installment in a trilogy of books called All Souls. Um, and the, the television series, which we're following, has actually been picked up for a series two and three following those. So congratulations to all the amazing people that have put that on because that's pretty exciting when that happens. Um, and Diana Bishop, just something to give a shout out because as Marcy said, we're all struggling academics here. Um, well, she's not. Not she's, Diana like, though. Not, 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 yeah, not Diana though. But Deborah Bishop um, is a historian and conducted a lot of this research. Um, Are you saying Deborah Harkness? I'm sorry, yeah. At Deborah Harkness is um, a historian in her herself um, via her training and did a lot of this research um, at Oxford, um, based the Bodleian Library on that. And she really, you can see that through the writing. And if you read the books, you can definitely see how much detail she provides. And obviously the television show can't go into that serious amount of detail, but it's present and it's there in the books. And so it's really exciting to see a very complex series like this be put onto television format. And it's been um, a lot of fans um, who watch the show have been really pushing for this to be on television for a long time. And it has quite the following, which Marcy, you know, we're seeing right now on our Twitter. And we love you guys. So the show opens with uh, Dr. Matthew Claremont looking dramatically <laughs> over a bridge and um, he utters the words and we, we will break it down. Um, for episodes of a show, we kind of go through the entire episode, mostly the important stuff, so bear with us. Um, so he's looking out over this bridge and he says, uh, once the world was full of wonders, but it belongs to humans now. And I'm like, yeah, we're sorry about that. <laughs> Seriously, that sucks. Can um, I spoil something for you? Yes. So that's how every episode starts. Oh, really? Yeah. I like that, mostly because that means I have to apologize every episode for taking the magic out of the world. Um, I do like the right afterward. He kind of gives us a hint into some of the um, the tension that we're going to experience in the show, which is that witches, vampires, monsters, creatures no longer trust each other in this kind of human-dominated world, right? So, like, dun-dun-dun, like, there is our nugget of what this entire show is about. Uh, these magical creatures, um, I'm not sure how many we'll encounter, but for now we know witches and vampires. Um, they don't trust each other and they're in a world dominated by humans. Am I, am I right, John? Yep. Perfect. Okay, so break down our main protagonist for me. So a lot of um, consideration and fan anxiety was like, who's going to be cast as um, these these two characters. And when Matthew Good and Teresa Palmer were announced as um, being uh, these two individuals, it was really well received. And so right now, um, Matthew Good, who is my new crush this season, I mean, he's always been my crush and I'm obsessed with him. So if, he doesn't have social, so I really can't like tweet at him every day, but uh, but I will, <laughs> but I would. But Matthew Good has been in a lot of stuff. He's a British actor. Um, 
has been seen in things such as the imitation game, Leap Year. Yep, we went there. Um, Allied, Medieval, and then um, the book uh, that was made into a film that won the Man Booker Prize, The Sense of an Ending, um, and then some really popular television shows. He's mostly a television actor. So um, he Downton was Abbey, Brown. John. He was in Downton Abbey. Um, <laughs> most most right now he's been uh he was in season two of the crown as princess anne's husband um and then he's been in other things princess like margaret princess margaret i'm so Get sorry princess margaret's together, husband. John. i, I mean, know my like, there's like a lot of them so like let's <laughs> be real here anywho but uh he was also in the good wife which is my favorite role of his right now because i love the good wife and i'm really upset it's not on television and so um, he's amazing and he's drop dead gorgeous. Um, second, uh, Teresa Palmer, who plays Diana Bishop, the youngest tenured professor at Yale University, getting a job at Oxford University for writing a paper. We'll get there. Um, she is horror royalty. As yes, it, she is. She is. Um, many of the listeners from season one, when we announced that we are doing this show for season two, Marcy talked about her role within the many horror films. Um, so she's been in things such as like Wolf Creek, The Grudge, Two, Warm Bodies, which is an amazing take on like the zombie cult film, um, Lights Out, Berlin Syndrome. I mean, she's been in them all. And I don't know, I would be like really scarred if I was in any of those body, like, like, like that body of work. So I don't know how she does it, but then I discovered her in the failed franchise, I Am Number Four, based on all those um, young adult fiction novels. I really liked that franchise. I was bummed it did not work out. I liked the movie. I didn't like the main actor for many reasons, but she was really good in it. She was, and I will say that Lights Out has messed with me in a way that very few horror films have messed with me, so I was excited to see that she was doing this. You know what movie really messed with me? Which one? Glitter. <laughs> Starring Mariah. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Our first mention of Glitter tonight. <laughs> it's, it's a really twisted movie. Oh, my God. Okay. So we open with Diana Bishop at Oxford. And for those of you that do not have some, like, background on the uh, University of Oxford, so this is one of the oldest teaching institutions in the world. Uh, there's evidence that... It has been open since 1096. It is the oldest university in the English-speaking world and the second oldest in continuous operation. So this thing has been around forever. Uh, it really became what it is today, actually, after Henry II stopped letting English students study at the University of Paris. Um, and so this is for the... For academics, this is like peak. This is where you go. This is where smart people go. Like that's I always know when someone drops there at Oxford in a book, they're wanting me to understand that they're way smarter than I am. Uh, I mean, Oxford has like 70, 69 Nobel Peace Prize winners at this point. So just a few. Just a few. Uh (laughs) so Diana's getting ready to go do her Oxford shit, right? She's got to go look at books and stuff. And old books and she's getting ready and she's finds and i think this is important uh she finds this picture of her parents and we have this kind of like melancholic moment where she's looking at this picture um i think back to harry potter with the picture of lillian james yes i will be referencing harry potter from here on out for everything and anything um so i was thinking okay here we go this is actually going to be in a grand narrative 
um, timeline because here we have the orphan, which is crucial for stories where the magical enters the, the regular realm. So if you're thinking of like Narnia, right, or Harry Potter, um, you can't have active parents or active families or communities and systems around a protagonist who's about to go on a magical adventure. It just doesn't work, right? So, um, so if you think about it, every major story that we're all in love with is an orphan. Uh, I mentioned Harry Potter. We have Anne of Green Gables, Jane Eyre. Literally all of Disney is missing All mothers. of Disney. No mothers and really absent fathers. And that is necessary because if not, you can't run away with a prince that you've never talked to. Exactly. So, hashtag Ariel, what are you doing? Yeah, hashtag Ariel, like literally. Okay, I'm done. John and I have some beef with Ariel, mostly because it's like the, it's deep love, and then like oh shit, sexist father. Yeah, we learned some bad lessons there. So Diana is on her way to the library. She drops some paper, and the paper kind of magics its way back to her, right? And this is our first encounter that um, Diana is magical, and she doesn't seem to be too surprised by it. So we know that it's not the first time that she has done something magical. Um, she's presenting at Oxford, like John said, she's presenting a paper that she's barely written, is what she says, called Visualizing Alchemy, Allegory, and Laboratory Practice in the 17th Century. Um, and the paper is so amazing that <laughs> she's immediately told that she so can So amazing. It. So amazing. She hasn't even written it. Uh, that she can have a tenure track position. Uh, it's just dependent on her research and publishing. Get it done. Um, I feel for her in that moment. <laughs> I do. Can I say something? I really like the fact that she's really hesitant to use her magic because it's never really been part of her life. So when, and it seems so natural in the world where how she possesses it. And I kind of like with other films and movies, like in television shows that talk and discuss this type of issue of magic, there's like certain rules and like she's and controlled and how it is. And she clearly can't control that magic, which is a huge theme in the show and in the books about how her magic and how powerful she is and what it's all about. And I just really like the naturalness of like the first signs of her magic. Right. Well, I mean, she's been to Oxford, but she's clearly never been to Hogwarts. So she has no idea what the fuck she's doing. But she is the youngest tenured professor at <laughs> Yale University. I love that that hurts you as much as it hurt me. As I'm watching it, I'm like, all right, girl. Number one, I love your blue coat. Number two, no struggling academic can afford that blue coat. And number three, oh my God, did she just get offered tenure for the second time? So yeah, wonderful. And she's 26. And she's 26. Wow. That's right. not her actual age. We're just saying that because Teresa Palmer is absolutely stunning, obviously, and that jacket is fabulous. And we all know she's had a good life. Right. So talk to me about Jillian is it Gillian, Jillian, Chamberlain? Jillian, Chamberlain. So Jillian is part of a coven um, at Oxford. Um, her and Diana know each other. And, you know, Diana really has been part of a coven because her parents died really young. Um, and her aunts that we see later on um, didn't really, 
raised her in that way. And so they're talking and she really wants Diana to come, you know, be back with the coven and really be there in that community. Like a coven of anything, yes, is a magical gathering of witches in this universe, but more importantly, and as Marcy and I talk about when we discuss religion academically, you know, a coven is just another name for community that is chosen. It is a chosen community of witches in this instance. And her and Jillian, Diana and Jillian are two people that are part are of a coven here at Oxford. And can I tell you that this, when she's talking to Diana and asking her to come back to the coven, I have like flashbacks of being asked to come back to youth group and being like, nah, I'm good. Like I put in my time, it's not my thing. So, um, so yeah, so obviously they, she was a part of this coven at some point, um, but she has moved away from it. So then we get a change of shot and we are suddenly with, I'm just going to call him Matthew. Dr. Matthew Claremont is way too long for me. Um, so call Matthew, Matthew. I'm going to call him Matt. Maddie. So Matthew, we get this shot. It's a weird shot because it lasts literally like five seconds, but I think it's important. If it's not important, why would you put it in there? But it's a shot of him praying in an Oxford chapel and he's actually praying the rosary. Um, so again, I don't know what's coming. So I don't know if what I'm highlighting is important or not, but bear with me. So I think it's interesting that he's in a chapel that clearly has tons of religious symbolism. And then, um, the rosary, for a lot of people, they associate the rosary with Catholics, right? Um, John and I grew up Catholic. But um, the rosary is actually just an evolution of like prayer beads, which we see all the way back to like before the time of Christ, like the Hindu religion uses these prayer beads. Buddhist monks have used prayer beads and not like not beads. So, um, so I don't think the rosary in and of itself is important, but I think it's important that he is connected to old rituals of prayer and old rituals of spirituality, right? So I'm going to gleam from this really weird snippet of him having his Jesus moment that he is acknowledging the power of the old gods and the new. I'm just gonna use some Game of Thrones thing. It's really Love cool. it. So that's what I got out of that. So then John, back to Diana, doing research at that library. So Diana, the youngest tenured professor at Yale <laughs> University <laughs> is doing, after she has um, lunch or coffee, whatever, um, she's back to doing um, she's research. She's having avocado toast, obviously. She's having avocado toast, obviously. Um, but she is back at the Bodleian Library, um, a very famous library at Oxford University, um, but she is doing research into this paper that she has to write because she's about to get tenure at another university. <laughs> um, so she is looking for this missing book called Ashmole 782, and all of a sudden it appears, um, and spoiler alert, you'll find out in later episodes that this book has been missing forever, and she somehow summons it. So it's brought to her, and when she opens the book, it seems to have this cosmic ripple, and everyone that we've already been introduced to in the universe, from Matthew and Jillian and others, feel its presence back. And then this also goes to show the creatures and the witches that aren't there, because they all exist in this type of like trinity type of organization. They also feel it because it's been missing forever, because it has has a lot of secrets. So she notes that it's missing and what it looks like three folios and really so like three pages and leaflets. And um, basically just so all of you 
listeners know, like a folio really is an individual like lead piece of paper or parchment and it's like numbered on the front side only. And it's usually one of a series of books that's part of like a bound volumes, which totally makes sense when it comes to the Ashmole 782. Well, and because um, you can and- slide a folio out and make it look, if you cut the strings, you can make it look like it was never there. So the fact that she picks up immediately, like, hey, we're missing a folio. I'm like, oh, that's why she's getting tenure. That's why she's getting tenure. Yeah. She's super smart. (laughs) Um, But folio comes from the Latin word folo, which means leaf. And this is, you know, as you can see from the book itself, you know, old books, you know, by ancient Egyptians were, you know, made from papyrus and they were made by pounding the flat wooden stems of the papyrus plants and, and really they're coming out with these pages. And now we just get books from Amazon and all of our problems are solved. Exactly. Exactly. So as she opens the book, it appears that the secret writing begins to appear everywhere and it seeps into her, like leaving the page. It goes all over her body and it's on her hand. And basically it burns almost a mark on her hand. It's like a rune, right? Of some sort. It's like a rune. Yeah. And so Diana freaks out and she returns the book and she leaves. And all of a sudden then, as Marcy will tell you, her um, follower comes looking for her. <laughs> well, let's have a moment first for like, if I had a book <laughs> that seeped its magical words into me and then branded me with a rune, I too would return the book to the librarian like it's no big deal. Um, all right, Diana. All right. You've clearly seen some shit when like you pretty much handled this within like stride. But Marcy, but I- she's seen some stuff because she's the youngest tenured professor at Yale <laughs> All right. So obviously there was this ripple in the force. And so Jillian and Matthew are looking for her. Um, Jillian finds her first. She's so creepy. Like she's got like that, like scary ex-girlfriend look about her when it comes to She's got find my friends on Diana's phone and Diana does not know Jillian find my friend at her without her knowing. That is exactly how I feel about this. Um, So she tells her that she could feel that something was off about that manuscript. And it's like, Jillian, were you just looking over my shoulder or what? Like, this is like an ongoing theme during this first episode. I apologize in advance. I don't know what's coming. I don't have the same love you all have for the characters. It's growing. It's coming. But bear with me as I try to make sense of stuff. Like, Diana has a lot of stalkers. So like, Jillian's looking over her shoulder. She's like, that book is creepy. And like, she's like kind of pushing at her that like they need to do something and diana's like no i'm good and then the camera pans out and matthew is just staring at her like like an emo kid listening to like blink 182 in 2000 looking at the love of his life that he's never even talked to he's edward culling her he is can can i say that like yes he is is edward culling her from the corner i'm rooting for him to be the man i need him to be but in this moment i'm just kind of like yo uh so we'll see but i'm not a big fan of julian or matthew yet um even though matthew is obviously really gorgeous um, but we pan out to a completely unrelated scene. It's these two young men, James and Marcus, and um, Marcus oh, is Marcus. played by Edward Bloomell, and Ooh. they're just kind of taking a walk. At first, I thought they were like a cute little couple. Oh, um, don't then, toy with me, Marcus. And then suddenly, James is hit by a car, and Marcus oh. like runs over, and I think he's going to revive his friend, and then he goes, ha! 
that's my vampire noise, by the way. He goes, that's your vampire noise? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's all I got. And so he bites into him. And for a second, I was like, this bitch, did he get this guy run over on purpose? Like, what is going on? But then you realize that he's actually trying to revive his friend or to turn him, or as Matthew later calls it, to sire him into an, a vampire to prevent his death. And somehow it doesn't work. And he seems really kind of like surprised that it's not working. Um, and so obviously this is a quick turn of events. I don't know if we're supposed to be invested in these folks, but, um, but I mean, it's, like, it's if, part of a longer story. Right. And John, if you got hit by a car, I too would bite your neck in hopes that you would come back as a vampire. Cause, cause you're a vampire. <laughs> oh shit. Marcus can bite my neck anytime. <laughs> I would just like to say that like definitely anytime. Anytime. I can get hit by multiple cars. <laughs> So, um, Marcus is obviously a part of this little, co not coven, but group of vampires that we find out later in the episode. But um, just a little brief history about vampires. Um, Buffy killed them all. So, we that no longer the, have... Do we need anything else? That is, like, the best history I've ever heard on vampires. No, no. I, I, I feel like if you're listening and watching, if you're watching this show and listening to this podcast, you already know a little bit about vampires. So, we don't need to, like, go through, like, the brief history of them. Basically, all you need to know about vampires is Buffy killed them all, and there now is a graphic novel series where the series ended off on the television show of where it shouldn't have ended because it was the best television show ever. There, done. Done. What happened next, Marcy? <laughs> so Marcus, after losing his buddy James, meets up with these other vampires. I don't know what, a, what to call a gathering of vampires. A vampire? I, I don't know. I don't know. I like vampire. So he, he he goes to Kiki with some vampire and <laughs> goes to and Kiki with some. That's all I got. So Marcus and this, and this woman named Miriam Shepard, who's played by Aisha, Aisha Hart, um, get together with Matthew and like they have this like vampire powwow. They're like, oh my god, like what is going on? Did you feel that disturbance in the force? And I'm starting to wonder if Anakin Skywalker is going to show up, but. Whatevs, and apparently it is Marcy, Metachlorians. Those are my god. <laughs> but um, apparently it is a big deal that Marcus could not sire James, right? That he couldn't bring him back. So my gathering from this moment is that they've lost powers of some sort, or that this disturbance is causing a disturbance in their in in the fabric of their magical beings. So for vampires, I'm guessing it's that this kind of like link to immortality is is for the moment suspended um so matthew is like yo let me tell you about this girl i've been staring at um she's got my book and this is where we first find out that this book that diana touched like john said is super important they've been looking for it for years i think matthew says like hundreds of years and then he gives us n this nugget he says that he can feel that diana is descended from the Salem witches. And I'm like, is there anything that Diana is not? Because right now she's my hero. Um, you mean so, Diana, the youngest tenured professor? Exactly. At Yale University? That one? With, yeah, that one. With history now with Salem. So as everyone knows, um, the Salem witch trials took place between February 1692 and May 1693. More than 200 people were accused, 19 were found guilty, executed by hanging, it was 14 women, and the five men who loved them, I guess. Um, really deadly 
Uh, it was the deadliest witch hunt in the history of the United States. Um, it pales in comparison to witch hunts worldwide. Um, that's an interesting history to go down. Um, if you haven't read it, I think it's Stacey Schiff's The Witches is like a really great breakdown. Um, but kind of Salem lives in this like imaginary place for, for Americans. I don't know what it's like across the border or across the ocean, but for Americans, Salem is like this very weird part of our history that we all kind of are fascinated with, but we also are like, yo, that would never happen today. And it's like, really? Really? Because like we're heading in some weird directions. But that's definitely happening. <laughs> Just so you know, if they take me, guys, I don't float <laughs> and I will scream. So someone needs to save me when they start rounding up witches. Um, but clearly Diana is a big deal like we didn't know um, because this tie to the American Salem uh, witch trials is, is bridging the European history of witches with an American history of witches. And I am here for that. Um, hopefully it's more successful than JK Rowling trying to bridge Hogwarts with Ilvermorny, which was weird. Uh, it just, it, it hasn't worked for me. Um, that is as much criticism as you'll get for JK Rowling from me because she is, uh, she is a god. <laughs> so, all right. Goddess. So, goddess. Well done, John. Thank you for being an ally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So after this Kiki, what happens? So <laughs> after the Kiki, um, between everyone, Diana, um, we cue back to Diana, and she's having nightmares about her dad, manuscripts, and spiders. Cue back to our weird news stories, right? So she calls her aunt Sarah Bishop, who's played by Alex Kingston. And let freaking? me tell you, I'm freaking out because I love Alex Kingston. And I just need to tell our listeners that Alex Kingston and I – um, began a relationship um, when she was in ER, or as I call it, ER. Um, when I was a kid, I used to, I was obsessed with the show. I totally wanted to be a doctor when I was growing up. And John, she, I slept with my anatomy book in high school because I was convinced I was going to go live a life like the doctors on ER. I feel you. Exactly. Well, she was amazing on that show. She was on it for a long time. Um, she left like after it was like on season like 36, I think. Um, and so, and like that show went on forever. But all I'm saying is she left and she wasn't on it for long but Alex Kingston as her own right is 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 really royalty when it comes to a lot of cult classic TV shows specifically Doctor Who so she um, played uh, the companion in Doctor Who the doctor's companion um, River Song from 2008 to 2017 um, which, as if any of you are, you know, Doctor Who fans here, uh, you know, people remember some of the best episodes of Doctor Who are with River Song. She's incredible. Um, and then she's had minor roles here and there in movies like Alpha Dog and other TV movies and series on the BBC. I love her. She, like, she could do whatever she wants. I mean, she is a fabulous actress. She's believable and she's so relatable. And that's why I'm really glad when um when they casted Sarah Bishop because Sarah Bishop's role is really important in the series. It's more important in the book, I think, from what I'm seeing from later episodes um, that aren't being like kind of depicted on screen. But it was a really good role and casting in my opinion. So Sarah grills Diana, the youngest tenured professor at Yale University, on the book that she found and summoned. And she's horrified that Diana put it back because she summoned this book 
that no one was able to do it. But it's also because of Sarah's knowledge that Diana is a, an extremely powerful witch um, in her own right. And so um, she asked Diana if it was a grimoire and it, it wasn't, it was a book, but you know, magical books have a very specific history. And because Marcy is the resident witch here, why don't you tell us what a grimoire is? So very brief overview. A grimoire is a textbook kind of for magic. Um, there's so many different kinds, um, depending on the type of magic that you are looking to learn about. Um, but they usually all include instructions on how to create magical objects like a talisman or an amulet. And then specific to that type of grimoire, spells, charms, uh, instructions on divination. Uh, some include how to summon and invoke entities. Um, just depends on the grimoire itself. Uh, there are extremely old grimoires, I'm guessing even at Oxford, uh, all over. <laughs> That's my dog. He's unhappy now. It's okay. Uh, he's like, don't talk about the grimoires, mom. Um, so there's very old ones, but honestly, you can walk into any Barnes and Noble and find a grimoire of your choosing. Um, as someone who actually considers herself a bit of a hedge witch. I have a green grimoire that focuses on kind of like the day-to-day -day nature, spells and, and kind of prayers and incantations. And it's, um, it's great, right? But I have other friends who are super into like gardenarian books. And so uh, if you're listening to this, you probably already know this and are like, that girl knows nothing about anything. And I agree with you. Um, but Again, this book was not a grimoire, and that is obvious because it is seeping runes into her skin, and I completely agree with her aunt, like, what the hell? Like, her aunt has the reaction that I expected Hermione to have when Harry Potter's book uh, in, is it Prisoner? No, in uh, Half-Blood Prince. When he has the Half-Blood Prince's book, Harry's like, I'm not giving this shit back. It's clearly powerful. That's how you're supposed to react to a book that is full of, like, magic. Yep. Um, so, so Diana might need to read the Harry Potter books again to learn something about magic. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. All I'm going to say. So Sarah warns Diana that she cannot continue to run from what she is and tells her to go back for the book. And this is a really important theme, both in the books and as you see later on in the television series, is that Diana it does not know who she is. A lot of her history um, is really scarred and she goes through trauma because of her parents dying. Um, in air quotes, um, and we'll get there in later episodes, uh, and spoiler alert, if you haven't read the books, like really what's happening there with her history. And so she has to come to acceptance of really coming into her being as a very powerful witch. Um, and Sarah, you know, Diana tells her really no. She doesn't really want to go back there. She knows she has to um, because she sent something, and you can totally tell like that, that glimmer in, in Diana's eyes. But it's a really powerful theme that we really begin to start seeing that will be threaded throughout the show about Diana fully accepting her power, what she's capable of doing, and really what does that mean for the rest of the series. Um, and then we get back to some vampires. <laughs> right. So the vampires are still doing their thing over some chicken wings. They're having uh, a kiki. Right. James went to the police, which Matthew which shows he was clearly invested in this dude right because he's putting himself in danger by being like someone ran over my friend and matthew's like dude you're a vampire you cannot go to the police 
Um, but they continue to talk about this book, right? And Matthew tells them, you know, that book that none of us have ever seen in hundreds of years um, has information on vampires and creatures like us, and it's not safe in a witch's hand. So again, this is the first, not again, hey, this is the first time we get a sense that there is some animosity between vampires and witches, right? Um, because Matthew feels like Diana having access to this book puts them in danger. And he says that he's afraid more and more people might be looking for it now if they felt that disturbance. So back at the library, Diana is reading more books, which is what one does when one's trying to finish, uh, I don't know what, like a seventh dissertation. And get and second so, tenure. Right. She like looks at one of the books and it just kind of jumps out at her, right? So her magic comes out. And Matthew is there, of course he is, to <laughs> grab it. And he's like, control your magic, whippersnapper. And like, it's such a strange moment because he, he like grabs the book and all this. He's just always there. Like, I don't know how, he's culling. He's just always there. And so she looks at him and she's like, oh, so you're a vampire. And he's like, I like your work. It has a wonderful way of evoking the past. And she's like, creepy. And she <laughs> walks away. So yeah, she gives him that look like, oh, girl, like not today. I do love though how they can sense each other. I really like that there is this naturalization of like magic and magical creatures in this world that they're building out that these people within these various groups know who each other are and they, they walk around each other clearly. I mean, Matthew's like a doctor at the university and, you know, Diana's Diana and there's covens there and it's very open and public in that way. And I just think that's really exciting. I, I just I don't see that in a lot of like television shows that discuss these types of themes like witchcraft and creatures and vampires like you know in Twilight they sparkle so you know let's we'll leave that as where it needs to be left in the garbage bin of history however you know I just like that there's a different there's more of an adult version to this way of how the world is being built I'm I'm here for it well there's there's an actual theological foundation for that right so like um, I'm going to be super cheesy right now, but if you remember it, growing up in church, there was always that song, like they will know we are Christians by our love, right? There was this understanding in the early church that you would know other Christians just by meeting, like you didn't have to discuss it. Like there's a lot of folklore of like how Christians would meet and, and kind of under the Roman empire, acknowledge one another. Right. But like foundationally Christian mythology is that you would know them by their love. Like you would walk into a room and be like Christian right there. Right. Granted there were other little symbols, runes, if you may, that they would kind of show each other. I'm thinking similar to like the Mockingjay in Hunger Games. Right. So you've got the fish, you've got a couple other things, um, the piece of the loaf of bread, but um, so there's a foundation for this uh, theologically. And then I will say as part of the active resistance in 2019, Oh my, I'm so proud. I got that date right in 2019, I can honestly tell you who my ally is whenever I walk into a bar. It's like, I can feel it in my bones. And I'm like, you're my ally, you're my ally, you're a jackass. And so I feel this, like, I do feel this. Uh, it, it, it makes sense to me, but I am impressed that he thinks the way to not creep her out is to give her a really creepy compliment about her writing. But as a writer, do it, honey, do it. Like, if anyone ever compliments my writing, it's like you are forever in my good book. Uh, maybe he, he could do it not while lurking behind her, which is probably why she creeps out, but still. All right, so now back to Jillian, who is like honestly becoming my least favorite person in the show. 
Yeah, Jillian is drunk and jealous, and she basically tattles on Diana to the coven because she's found this book and she's not talking about it, and she's not giving it to her community, aka the witches. And that becomes a theme later on in the show when they introduce other characters who are really important about this like territory of like the witches have this book and they need to use it for X, Y, and Z. And it's obviously against the creatures um, and the vampires, but Diana doesn't isn't aware of that yet. So you know it's coming and Jillian definitely needs to kind of get a rude awakening. Well, I mean, like she's like a housewife at a reunion. She just couldn't wait to go tattle on her while drinking some Chardonnay. So, yes. so then we continue and I'm not even going to give the breakdown of this. Diana and Matthew play cat and mouse. We're like, she's brushing her teeth and there he is through the window. She's taking a run and he's peeking at her from like the lake. It's like, he's everywhere. And he like, I counted like nine times in this episode that he tells her in one way or another to be safe. And it's like, dude, I think she gets it. Um, she, but then he, she can be safe. Right. I'm really banking on the fact that he's got information I don't. Cause if not, I'm like, dude, you need to chill. But um, he also keeps telling her like, we need that book. Like, give me the book. I can't access the book. Um, and so then she gets like really like exasperated and she's like, what do you want? And I'm like, the book. He's being super clear about it. The He's book, like, the book. The book and you, girl. But give him the book first. Um, but he does tell her, like he told his little coven of uh, his vampire that like other people are looking for it and that everyone is in danger. And he tells her that he doesn't understand how she found it when no one's been able to summon it. And she pieces out, which is honestly her MO. Like she like walks out of scenes like she was never in them. Um, yeah, so, she's like, bye. Right. So then we go to a bar with Sean the librarian. Um, Tommy Wa Edun plays him and he's a cutie pie. And he's clearly flirting with Diana, but he's so out of his league. He's a librarian. And she is pretty much the president of the universe. And so she's had like two drinks and she starts to kind of tell him about her parents. Um, hashtag drinks equals telling people about your trauma. So I'm glad that we have a local bar. Um, so she says that, you know, her parents died when she was young. They were in the Ukraine or Russia. She apparently doesn't know. And Nothing good happens in Russia. <laughs> oh, I have so much to say to that. Um, but the village. Except for the theme setting of Anastasia. Oh my I God. just want to say. John, I honestly had to push back the lyrics. I was about to start singing. Have you heard there's a rumor in St. Petersburg? Exactly. Uh, guys, prepare. John and I like to break out into musicals on here. So this village <laughs> turned on Diana's parents and axed them because they thought they were witches. And she's telling him this. She's telling Sean this. Like, it is totally normal. I just want to say, if I'm at a bar with a dude who's clearly into me, He's like, tell me about your life. I don't think the first thing I'm going to say is, well, my parents were in the Ukraine and they were axe murdered because people thought they were witches. I'd be like, what? It's too soon, girl. It's too soon. But I understand they needed to tell us that. Um, something to note, Sean is horrified. He's like, why the fuck would anyone do that? It's like 2019. Like, why would anyone do that? And she looks kind of annoyed. Like, he's supposed to know that she's a witch. Like, Girl, he's not a vampire. He's not a witch or wizard. Like, he doesn't know. Let's cut Sean a break. He's the only normal person we've met in this entire show. He is an, a librarian at Oxford, though. Like, that's a pretty good job. Oh, I should clarify. I am not snapping on librarians. Like, 
I, I just, Diane is clearly an ethereal being who no one, not even a librarian at Oxford could touch. Uh, so. Exactly. No, I hear you. I don't think you were, deep but I'm saying, like, you know, deep, deep love, love for him. Deep love for librarians. Totally. So um, we transitioned to Out in the Woods, um, like not a cabin in the woods, which is another horror film that totally messed with my mind, but we're out in the woods and there appears to be two witch hunters that stumble upon a witch's cabin. Um, a witch appears and immediately kills one of the hunters with a knife and a fire pit. It's pretty cool. I have to say, like, it's a pretty awesome, like, scene. I really enjoyed it. And so she approaches the other hunter and it becomes apparent that he too is a witch and not a hunter, but he just lured that man there to kill him. Um, so this character we come to know is Satu and she's played by Malin Busca. And um, Malin Busca is, or Malin Busca, I don't know, is a Swedish actress and has been in various TV series here and there. From what I could really find out about her, this is definitely one of her biggest roles yet. So, you go know, Malin. <laughs> go Malin. Hey, we're here for you. Um, so, the man that she was talking to in the woods that lured the witch hunter there, um, his name is Peter Knox, and he's played by Owen Teal. And Owen Teal has been in a lot of British television shows. He was in Game of Thrones. I can't remember who he played in Game of Thrones, but he's definitely dead now. <laughs> Story of my life. Everyone I ever fall in love with on Game of Thrones is like dead. You fell in love with Owen Teal on Game of Thrones? I fall in love with every bad character on Game of Ugh. Thrones. He, and this okay. guy has a bad character face. I can't even remember he who he was. He does. He totally does. So Knox tells Satu that her strength is evident and that she needs to join the coven. She's kind of just been out there and he finds her. And this was clearly like a ritual to see if she was ready to join. So, so this um, is closer to my youth group experience. <laughs> you killed a hunter in the woods with a knife and a circle of fire that then dropped him in like to hell? Because that's like how that. I went. That's how my catechism Wednesdays went. I don't know about yours. <laughs> Something like that. But I love that she like shows total allegiance and he's like, come join. I'm like, yo, she already joined. She just killed a dude. <laughs> yeah, yo, like she could kill you. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Knox. Like, oof. Right. So we go back to Matthew is stalking Diana at the library. He's following and, her, Marcy. Right. <laughs> he wants her to be safe. He does. He really wants her to be safe. But he's facing uh, the sun and she cracks like a great joke, which is like, is that Southern exposure comfortable for you? And I was like, burn, double burn. Did you get my pun there? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> not so, sparkling, so I'm, I'm okay with it. You're with me. So he tells her that Jillian and other people in the library are watching her. And like, she kind of turns around and it's true. They're all kind of observing her. Um, and then she leaves, like she does, she doesn't say goodbye or anything, she just leaves. And Jillian follows her and is like, that's a vampire, you need to be very careful. And I'm like, girl, she needs to be careful with you. Girl, she, at least he didn't find my friend my phone without realizing it. Yeah, like, but girl, in the next out. scene, he's broken into her room and finds the picture of her parents. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, yeah. So then yeah. Knox appears and he is at this like, school where Jillian and some other it's not Oxford because it looks like a good day school Jillian and some other witch are talking about this whole Diana book thing and Knox is there to interview Jillian so this is where she completely turns her in to what I am assuming is a bad dude right he reminds me of like a gardenarian like wizard so um I don't want to go into too much of the history of the gardenarians but um 
let's just say that like he gives me like some vibes that I'm like yeah dude no like this is not your lane get out of here but he's clearly powerful so he's interviewing Jillian Jillian tells him everything and so obviously Diane is now in trouble yeah as Matthew has been saying this entire episode she really doesn't know who to trust in this show because she's so she's not been a part of this larger universe um, because she's been so far removed from it, getting tenure as the youngest tenure professor at Yale University. Um, and so she just like, she opens up to everyone. Is like, oh yeah, the book, like this is everything that it said. And here's this, and here's my social security number, by the way. Like she just <laughs> tells people everything. She's like that person you meet at like the coffee shop where you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut in front of you in line. And before you know it, you're talking about their appendectomy and then you're like friends on Facebook. Right. Right. Yeah. That's happened to me. I'm just saying. <laughs> I do live in Los Angeles, though, so it's really possible. You do. You do. Okay, so, again, there's Matthew. <laughs> following. Diana. Following her. Uh, he seems a little upset, right? Because, like, he's tired of, like, saying, like, be safe. Where's the book? Um and then he demands information on the book. So he's a little more forceful. And he calls the book the Book of Life. Yeah. So the Book of Life um, has a long historical background. And we'll kind of just really do a 10,000 foot overview here. But in Christianity and Judaism, um, the Book of Life um, is the book in which God records the names of every person who is destined for heaven or the world to come. And according to the Talmud, um, it is... Um, it is open on Rosh Hashanah and it's the analog for the wicked, the book of the dead. Um, so for this extra mention, you know, it's like understanding the book of life. It has a significance to like the afterlife and everything that comes about it um, as a result. So definitely there's a lot more to the book of life. That's like a very broad overview, but it's obviously a very important book in this universe. And we really see, um, the confusion because he finally basically tells Diana, like, look, like you had the most important book in your hands and like you, you're not even curious about it. And he's so confused why Diana doesn't really care. Um, and then he finally kind of spills the tea, all the tea. And he says, this book is key to vampires, their survival. And so it's very clear to Diana that something is going down that she's going to become part of and that Matthew already sees. And he's really trying to warn her and like be there for her. And um, it's clear that this is a larger narrative that we're going to get to. But Diana and Matthew are basically, as you can tell, the foils of each other. And they're, they're destined to play off of each other for how they're going to survive. They're meaning the witches and the vampires. Right. So I would want, I, I wish this episode had ended there. <laughs> yeah. Because the next scene is just creepy. It is so creepy. I like don't know what to do with it. So they're kind of giving each, they're kind of like eye fucking each other. Let's be real. They are. They're like looking I mean, at each other. And I'm looking like, at Matthew Good. I'm definitely eye fucking him. Right. And so <laughs> he realizes that um, Diana, when she was, because she was on a run, dropped her like sweaty sweater, right? And he goes to pick it up and then he takes like a huge whiff of it. And all of a sudden, his vampire instincts take over because he's so attracted to her pheromones on this jacket. And he's like, walk past me slowly. I, in hopes of not killing her, right? Because he's so turned on by her pheromones that he's going to bite her. So yeah. apparently it's not blood, it's pheromones. Um, and like, she's like, 
what? But then she walks very slowly past him. And end scene. End scene. Uh, (laughs) End episode one. So that is episode one. And that is how we do. (laughs) This is how we do. Uh, This is how we do it. Right. So we're super excited to cover this show. Um, Obviously, we're a little irreverent, but we are always super fans of our of our material. So we're super excited to be covering the show. Um, we will be dropping an episode a week. So keep an eye out. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, not on Pinterest. John. Just saying. Oh my God. What are we going to do? Like, like pin needlepoint projects for a discovery of witches. I'm sure there's a community out there. Y'all tweet us your weird news and we will cover it on the show. Seriously. Let's do it. Um, So thank you for joining us and we will see you next time.